Hi, and welcome back to the show. Today, I am joined by Dale Pierce. He is the COO and partner of Platinum Outsourcing. They are an Australian-based outsourcing firm. They've got 10 years of history, but really started in 2019, just prior to the COVID pandemic. So they have been on quite a journey. Interestingly, they kind of started in Bali, Indonesia, which is an interesting story in itself. So we have a really good conversation with Dale about Platinum Outsourcing, about their journey, and also the verticals that they focus on, which is customer service, creative and developers, finance and accounting, back office and admin. So it's a far ranging conversation and I hope you will enjoy or maybe learn something. As always, if you want any of the show notes, go to outsourceaccelerator.com slash podcast. Enjoy. This podcast is brought to you by Outsource Accelerator. We are the world's leading outsourcing marketplace and advisory. We help big and small businesses with their outsourcing needs, and we can help you too. We cover everything from offshore business and staffing strategy, optimal outsourcing structures, implementations, and fully managed services. If you are already outsourcing, about to start, or are somewhere in between, then we can ensure that you get the best from outsourcing. That's the best prices, best terms, and of course, the best results from your offshore operations. The Outsource Accelerator Marketplace now covers over 3,000 outsourcing firms representing a global workforce of over 5 million people. We also host this leading outsourcing podcast, publish inside outsourcing, and have over 15,000 pages of content on the site. Because we span the entire market, we can ensure that you get the best deal possible. Get in touch today. Visit us at outsourceaccelerator.com slash quote. Also, if you find this podcast interesting or valuable, please share it. We have now produced hundreds of episodes featuring the outsourcing world's most prominent luminaries. Please show your support by sharing this podcast today. So Dale, tell us about Platinum Outsourcing. You're based in Australia, proudly Australian, focus on the Australian market. Uh, What is it sort of in particular that Platinum Outsourcing focuses on? Yeah, so uh, Platinum Outsourcing, uh, co-sourcing BPO, uh, Australian-owned and managed, uh, servicing only uh, the Australian market. Um, We predominantly focus on four verticals, um, which are quite broad. So we have customer support, so that could be really anything from um, your call centre, customer support type roles. Uh, Creative and development, again, relatively broad. So anything from marketing through to uh, engineering, front back-end development, um, finance and accounting, uh, which is, is relatively uh, self-explained, uh, and then and then anything in, in the back office and admin um, part of people's businesses. So it could be data entry, could be logistics focused, um, but they're the four verticals where we're, um, I guess, keenly focused on and, and where most of our current partners fall within. 
And Tim, your uh, founder and CEO, from what I understand, he has been engaged with offshoring for many years. And it's quite a common journey, isn't it, that um, often people stumble across outsourcing for their own needs, for their own business, uh, and then they scale it up because it is such an attractive value proposition for, for every business. What What's the story there? Yeah, so... Tim Tim founded the business. He's based on the west coast of Australia in Perth, and uh, he ran a uh, a different business for many years, and he still retains an interest in 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 that business. Um, and much like many, I guess many people that live on the west coast of Australia, um, Bali is just a short trip. So over the course of the last twenty years, he spent a lot of time in Bali, um, and he looked to to see ways in which he could outsource. I guess not originally non-customer facing. Um, parts of that that business, and he he built a little team in Bali, uh, which he he still actually has a little team over there, um, and just organically, I guess through much like many others, um, through his contacts in the industry he was operating in, there was some interest generated in that, uh, and that then led uh, to him deciding to open up uh, or open an office in mainland Indonesia in Jakarta, which we still have a presence there today. Um, and then from there, it it, it grew and, and we made the decision or he made the decision um, to, I guess, make it a, a truly customer-facing business. And then the entity was incorporated at the end of 2019. Um, and we, we've continued on that journey up until today. Fascinating. And with the whole Bali thing, do you have any reflections? I, I think that was over about a 10-year period. Uh, you know, I, yeah. I'm a lot of people are very familiar with Bali and the people in Bali. And um, is there any reason why that didn't necessarily scale and become the core office? I, I sometimes wonder why you know everyone sort of almost defaults to the Philippines. Um, was it sort of harder to to get things going over there? I think in terms of the operational aspect, I think there's probably not a huge amount of difference in terms of getting leases. Um, you know, incorporating a, a company. There's not a huge amount of difference across most of those Southeast Asian countries. I think it's pretty much the same. I think that the biggest challenge um, you have in Bali is it's a, it's a relatively transient population. Um, you've, you've got most of the human resources that are working um, within Bali, or be some of them are locals. You have a lot that are coming from mainland Indonesia across, and they may spend, you know, three, six, 12 months there and then decide to move on or move back um, back, back to, to, to the mainland, um, you know, where, whatever province it is that they live in. Um, also, you probably find in, in mainland Indonesia, university education is more prevalent um, and the level of English is, is better in those, those large metropolitan centres. So um, that was probably the main driver. And then I think also too, as you mentioned, there's a, there's a huge familiarity with with the Philippines and Manila being the mecca of of outsourcing. I think if you asked anyone, you know, what their exposure was to dealing with companies that have outsourced or offshore teams, uh, it's likely they're going to name one of two destinations. It's going to either be the Philippines or be India. Um, so I think the the familiarity with that location is is um, is important when you are going and speaking out with, you know, speaking with potential customers. Yeah, it's really got a lot of brand cachet now, doesn't it? The Philippines, like uh, I'm always yeah, approached sure. now by other com- countries, 
you know, Ethiopia and um, Kenya and Jordan and Fiji, and they all want to get onto this outsourcing, you know, bandwagon. It's an amazing economic opportunity, but it, it's hard, you know, it's taken 20, 30 years for Philippines to build its uh, sort of brand positioning. So it's, uh, I think it's yeah, now absolutely. benefiting from that time in markets. Yeah, it's- it certainly wasn't. Yeah, it certainly wasn't an overnight success. Um, it, you know, it's uh, it's been a long road for them, but it certainly plays a massive part um, in terms of what it's doing for for the Philippines as a country. That's for sure. And what about your journey? You're the chief operating officer of Platinum. You know, I I bet when you were in school, you didn't think you would be working for a Philippine outsourcing company. Um, what was your introduction <laughs> to? global employment and then the Filipino workforce and how, how, how have you sort of uh, reflected on that? Yeah, so um, there's probably a few things that happened that, that, that gave me exposure to it. I was working for a US company when I came out of high school um, in a call center based on the Gold Coast. Um, and that particular company um, was really one of the first um, would have been the first company I had exposure to, but they'd been involved in moving um, a lot of stuff from North America into the Philippines and other satellite locations like Cork and Ireland. Um, and I was part of one of the founding teams there. Actually, it was back when I was on the phones as a customer service representative. Um, and they actually opened a satellite office uh, in Australia uh, on the Gold Coast in Bundle, servicing the North American market. Um, so that was my first exposure um, to outsourcing. And actually, the the, the person that came over from the US, Courtney Haber, who had a large impact on my career, she's still um, really heavily involved in outsourcing and she's the, the global workforce manager for Google uh, in terms of all their outsourced teams um, in a really senior position. I th- believe at last check, and she's still based uh, based in Ireland. Um, and then my, my career went on and I ended up with um, a consumer goods business in an executive role. Um, and that's where I met Tim. Tim was actually contracted to do work for that business. Um, and through that relationship, he mentioned um, he had an outsourcing business. At that time, it had moved from Bali and was based only in Jakarta. Um, and then from there, we actually moved some of the roles I was responsible for to Tim's business. And then Tim and I got to discussing opportunities to potentially work within his business and take a, an ownership stake, uh, which I did. Um, and that was in was the end of 2019. Uh, and then, yeah, been been in the business since then. So coming up to four years uh, in August this year. Got it. And you do, so you do have, you know, quite a lot of, I, I, I had no idea, but actually a lot of your career has had exposure to outsourcing. And so it's probably very familiar and, and very intuitive to you, um, what do you feel, you know, you're on the East Coast, Upper East Coast of Australia. What is the pulse of Australian businesses really understanding outsourcing? How aware are they generally? How accepting of it are they? I know, you know, 10, 15 years ago when I kind of got into this gig that it was just such a foreign concept. But uh, are generally people aware of it now? Yeah, I think when you go out and speak with businesses, everyone has some degree of understanding of what outsourcing is as a concept. Um, what, what I find is once you get a little bit further past those initial discussions, there's probably a little, there's probably still a lack of understanding about how it actually works in practice. Um, 
So I feel like there's definitely still education that needs to be done as part of when you're going and making cold outreach to businesses and trying to form a relationship with them. Um, that changed, I think, during the pandemic. You know, there was obviously the, remote, the, the rise of remote work during that period as businesses were just forced to um, to adapt to to the situation as a result of, of the pandemic. So I think that opened up a lot of people's eyes to how remote work, um, where remote work has a place within their business, not just in large multinationals, but also in you know, small and medium business. So I think that did us a huge favour um, in terms of our industry uh, as giving us, I guess, a little bit more legitimacy that it actually works in terms of uh, having people not situated in a physical office um, five days a week. Um, but yeah, I, 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 the way I would frame it is businesses certainly have an understanding of what outsourcing is as a concept, but there's still a way to go in terms of educating them on the different models and, and how it works and how it's not just for big business. Yeah, yeah. And do you find what's the resistance like? Are, are people sort of still proudly hiring Australian or, you know, do they just see it as a, uh, you know, a necessary commercial exercise these days i suppose it's very varied isn't it yeah it is it's probably three there's probably three barriers to entry i'd say when you go and you start talking with someone there's the, the first one the first point that you made that people um you know want to hire locally despite you know the challenges in doing that particularly in some some segments um the i guess the the lack of control or, or deemed lack of control or, or perceived lack of control rather in terms of when they move stuff um, and functions offshore, um, there's that perceived feeling that they're somehow losing control of that part of their business. So that would probably be the second the second thing we come across. And then also too, circling back to what I mentioned earlier, um, although they have an understanding of outsourcing as a concept, um, there still seems to be, I guess, the perception that it's it's a complex process to actually onboard and get you get you started. So that would be the third one, just educating educating business owners that it, it's not a, a long and, and tedious process. It's actually not hugely dissimilar to hiring onshore. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of kind of friction, isn't it? And, you know, as you say, it's just kind of getting people past those those barriers, uh, and then once they start and they get a taste of success, there's no no going back, really. Absolutely. Interesting. Yeah. No, I agree. And um, so you focus on these four verticals, customer service, creative and dev, finance and accounting and back office and admin. When you yep. fulfill those roles for people, are you helping with the process? Are you helping build the teams? Are you helping with the outputs? Or are you really just finding the staff um, suitable for their requirements and then you know providing the infrastructure and letting them go for it yeah look we market ourselves as a co-sourcing provider um, which obviously you don't need an explanation but essentially what we do is we recruit uh, and employ the team members and then they're working from our office or working from home and just acting as an extension of our clients onshore teams um, in the more specialized roles like development um, design, those types of, um, I guess, more specialised um, areas. We, we're not hugely involved in in process or, or, or coaching these team members on how to improve, but certainly I'd say in the in the call centre space, there's 
more inertia required in in the day-to-day management just by nature of the work that they're doing it's highly transactional um i'd say there's more stringent kpis around um what our partners are looking for in terms of call volumes quality uh first call resolution so whilst we don't market ourselves um i guess outwardly uh in in being intimately involved in that certainly for our existing partners we are involved in that coaching and dev of, of, of those call center type roles, assisting with work instruction creation, um, you know, calling out to them any areas we think they might be able to improve on just as our, um, just, uh, you know, through learnings in our own experience um, with other, with other clients. Yeah. Yeah. And where do you feel are the quick wins? You know, if you're bringing on clients and they're nervous and they're skeptical, um, is there a set of formula that you follow to get people quick wins, maybe roles that people should focus on, functions that they should do um, to, to smooth the journey? Um, yeah, I guess it comes down to, to the, the businesses that we're talking to. Um, I'd say anywhere that you've got anywhere in your business that you've got a good amount of experience in um, and, and you maintain an onshore presence, I would always encourage um, to look at, you know, potentially outsourcing those roles first. Um, I certainly wouldn't uh, look at or encourage looking at building an offshore team in an area of your business that's brand new. Um, And what I mean by that is if you're moving into web development and that's not something that you've had exposure to onshore previously, I wouldn't recommend going and trying to build an offshore team to do that. Um, you, you certainly want to do it in an area of your business that you already understand and that perhaps you, um, you know, you've, you've got good process around that. Um, that would be my suggestion in terms of those are the areas in your business that you might want to look at outsourcing first. Um, you can dip your toe in the water and then, and then decide where you go from there. Yeah. And to me and you, you know, I bet the value proposition is so obvious and it's so acute and people can save incredible money um, and source fantastic people but yet it's really hard to sell outsourcing isn't it you know it's really really hard like all of us <laughs> yeah. every yes. single BPO should have 10,000 seats tomorrow because this is just such a clear yeah. winner where where do you sure. why is it so hard to 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 sell this <laughs> um, you know obviously you mentioned those great, points, yeah. But, um, yeah where do you yeah, see it's, that I mean, it's a great just, question Amazed, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's a, it's the million dollar question. Um, we'd probably all be multi millionaires if we found the answer to it. Um, yeah, and, and I, I, I don't I don't know what it is. Um, it, but but certainly what you do see is those businesses that are doing it for the first time. Um, you know, they might start with one one resource or a handful of resources, but I don't think we've ever had a case where someone has done it for the first time and not scaled their team. Um, so I think those businesses that go and do it, they're, they're making the long-term decision and they're finding pretty quickly that there is a huge amount of value in it. Um, but as you say, it's that it's, it's getting them over the line and getting them interested in doing it. That's the difficult thing. Um, so yeah, I, I guess we, when we're going out and speaking with, with businesses, we, we try to steer away from just hammering home the cost saving. I think that's something that's been, um, you know, beaten to death for a, a lack of a better expression. Certainly cost is, is is a big part of it. And there are a lot of savings that can be realized by going and moving um, some of your team 
you know, off to an outsourcing provider like ourselves. Um, but there's other benefits as well um, in terms of lowering risk. You, you're not adding a huge amount of risk to your, your P&L. Um, that then transfers over to us. So you can scale up and down as you need. Um, there's the realignment of resources. There's the enormous talent pool in the Philippines. And you mentioned at the start of, of our discussion, you know, the Philippines has been around and, and Filipinos have been doing this for, for two decades. Uh, there's an enormous talent pool there, of really, really clever um, people across a variety of industries that are just waiting for um, an opportunity to work for, you know, an Australian business. Um, so, yeah, we, we, we try and steer away from purely talking about the cost benefit and, and maybe try to expose these businesses we're talking to, to to some of the other benefits they might not have previously considered. And how do you, you know, diving into your business a little bit, how, how do you find the best way of um, uh, selling your wares? Like how do you, what's the best way of kind of approaching people and saying, hey, you realize there is this amazing opportunity out there and would you like to give it a try? Is, is it kind of networking events? Is it emails? Is it LinkedIn? How, how do you sort of get that initial contact? Yeah, that's an interesting one because I found that it sort of changed a little bit, particularly over the last six months. I feel like cold outreach has probably stagnated. Um, and I don't know if that's because there's been a rise in, in inside sales. There's lots of you know businesses are now using remote-based SDRs and, and people's inboxes and phones are just constantly constantly being you know blown up. I, I find primarily the last three to six months we're winning business now via referral and, and inbound leads off either search engine optimization or, or pay-per-click. Um, you know, and when, when we do go and, and talk to to people, when we do get those leads, you know, we're, we're a small, a, a tiny drop in the ocean compared to some of these other larger BPOs um, that we're competing against. Um, so what we, where we try to position ourselves is, is explain that you know, we're, we're an agile organization. We've had some really good success in our speed to market for some of our partners that have had limited success with some of the bigger BPOs that are, are utilizing large talent acquisition teams. Um, so we talk to them about our ability to, to onboard quite quickly. Um, you know, and I guess also too, as a co-owner of the business, our, our customers have a connection to us. Um, as owners of the business. And there, there's a degree of trust that's built when you're able to form those initial relationships right from the beginning and, and then build them over time. Um, and, you know, inevitably as businesses grow larger and larger, there becomes a real disconnect with the customer and senior management. So trying to maintain that connection with our, our customer is really important. Um, and particularly with the market, we're trying to target businesses that are sort of 500 employees and less. Um, we find that's really important for them as well. And it seems to have served us well to this point. Yeah, it's about, it's because it's really mission critical, isn't it? You know, this isn't just a, a SaaS product for a calendar app. It, it really is absolutely critical to people's operations and they need that sense of uh, security and, and um, capability for people to really jump in bed with, a, with an outsourcing provider. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a huge decision and... You know, people are trusting us essentially with their business and with their customers and, and there's nothing more important. So um, you do have to work hard on building that trust um, over time. So you really kicked off in 2019 and of course COVID 
happened uh, soon after. Like, <laughs> how how yeah. did you find that impacted your operations, your sort of business trajectory, but then also the trajectory of the clients and prospects you were dealing with? Yeah, look, COVID was a big one for us. As I mentioned earlier on, I joined the business at the end of 2019 in August. So I only really had six months um, in the business. I took a pretty big risk coming out of a, you know, a really good paying executive role, um, moved the family, relocated back up to the Northern Rivers, um, the very northern tip of New South Wales after being in Melbourne for, for six years, bought a house. Uh, and then was, that was in December of 2019, moved in January and then three months after that COVID hit. Um, so that was uh, enormously stressful. Um, and then we decided to make it even more stressful by by opening our office right sort of in the middle of uh, of the pandemic, which was the start of 2021. We took a lease uh, in an office in Alabang, uh, hired our right. first employee February or March of that year. Um, and then I think it was 18 months after that, we were first able to get out of the country and go over and visit the team. So we hadn't met any of those any of our staff face-to-face. It had all been done virtually and we'd grown to in excess of 40 uh, full-time employees by that stage. So we had a, a, a good little functioning team over there and it was quite unusual um, walking into an office full of people that you'd spent time with virtually but never actually um, been able to go and shake hands with. So it was looking back on it, 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 you know, it's going to be one of those, I guess, stories you tell about your career years and years from now. But we learnt a lot um, and kind of feel like if we were able to get through that, um, fingers crossed we don't have to experience something similar to that again. But it certainly made us stronger as an organisation and we, we learned a lot of hard lessons that we'll carry with us moving forward. Yeah, that was a tough time. And why did you move on the office at, at such a sort of critical point? I, th- I think, well, some countries, things were normalising by then, but the Philippines was very much still locked down. I know, and, yeah. Um, well, but I suppose you just had momentum and you maybe signed the deal. Yeah, we, we'd have to get Tim on and blame him for that because that was his decision. Um, but we, we, yeah, we we had we had eyes on a space uh, for a little while. Tim had been over there a month or two before COVID actually hit, so we'd already been, I guess, relatively deep into the process. Um, we, had, as you mentioned, we had some good momentum, and we just took a risk. Fortunately for us, the risk paid off and we didn't, you know, have any huge disasters. It was difficult, as you said. Um, the COVID restrictions over in the Philippines, very, very different to here. You had, you know, all of those, I guess, the roadblocks set up with certain people not being allowed in and out of certain areas in, in the national capital region. Um, but, yeah, we, we, we in hindsight, will we do it again? I'm not sure, but we did it and it worked. So, yeah. Well done. And so what is your philosophy generally on uh, office versus work from home? Obviously, you, you, you know, you're committed to the office um, solution. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? And, and especially as staff now are, you know, they're all kind of voting that they all want to work from home, which I think serves the staff, but not necessarily the, the business or the client. Yeah, look, we do have a portion of the team that do work from home. And as you said, there's certainly been after the pandemic, um, some resistance to moving back into the office on on a full-time basis. Um, And we've just found 
we have found, you know, through our recruitment, and these are the, the types of things we explain to, to people when we're going through the, the onboarding process is for certain types of roles, I think you, you just have to offer work from home as an option, um, you know, where, where the talent pool might be a little less large. So talking about things like full stack developers, which is, is quite a competitive area to, to be able to get good people, app development, most of those types of roles, good digital designers as well, most of those types of roles, they're accustomed to working remotely anyway. The pandemic probably just reinforced that. Um, and I think just as part of your employee value proposition, if you want to be able to compete for the talent, you probably need to offer you know, remote working or a hybrid arrangement as a minimum. Um, whereas I think now with, with your customer support type roles, back office administration, most of that, that telepool again is probably a little bit larger than those more niche roles, certainly in the Philippines. Um, those guys are, are probably more um, more open to, to coming and working from the office and they are highly transactional roles. So we feel a bit more comfortable having them in, in the office where we're able to have some some oversight, um, at least in real time. Um, look, I think, I think work from home, there is a place for it, um, but it, it is definitely role dependent. And once now that we've got over that tsunami of, of COVID and, you know, things seem to be settling down, we seem to be facing another storm, which is this AI uh, automation. Chat GPT has, you know, significantly changed a lot of roles and even potentially can change like developer roles. It seems to be writing code for developers now. How do you see that impacting the industry and also client demand for staff? Yeah, it's an interesting one. Um I guess I'm, I don't necessarily buy into the hysteria that it's going to steal everyone's jobs and, and become this, I guess, magic wand for everything that, that, that we do. Um, I guess like anything, uh, you know, the outsourcing industry has seen all of these techno- technological advancements happen and has is, and is continued to thrive and continued to grow. Um, so, you know, if we look back in history, in, in, as far as call center roles was concerned, we had automated IVR and responsive IVR come out, um, you know, many, many years ago. We had um, chatbots chat bots come out, um, but people are still moving live chat operators offshore. People have still got call center staff. Um, and with both of those technologies, and, and I guess the same with AI and chat GPT, there needs to be... Um, adoption first in, in, in the onshore environment. So before that has any impact on what we're doing as a BPO, you need to see wide adoption onshore. Um, and from what I've seen, you know, it, it takes a long time for that to happen. Um, you get the initial rush of people saying it's really exciting and great and let's use it to, to do this and do that. But after that honeymoon period ends, um, then you're going to really see if there's actually value in in that technology in terms of what it does for businesses onshore. Does it impact um, people's roles? Where's the realignment? Um, do people move into different areas of businesses? And then there would, subsequent to that, be a flow on effect to BPOs. But I think we're a ways off seeing um, any huge impact um, in the BPO environment for, I guess, the foreseeable future, in my, in my opinion. And I'm happy for someone to change it, but that's... I guess my opinion on it at this point in time. Yeah, it makes sense. Huh? Like, I, I was amazed. Like, IVRs have always been rubbish, and anyone using IVRs, which is those those options on the phone, <laughs> and they, they phone up, 
they are just so frustrating. <laughs> and then, you know, yeah. as you say, about sort of five, 10 years ago, those chat bots came out and everyone saw that as a revolution. And they were so bad, they people didn't realize they were basically just an IVR in a sort of, in a scripted exactly, yeah. And the <laughs> IVRs were terrible. It was terrible. People have never made a successful IVR. Uh, and, you know, so it's funny, but people jumped on that chatbot trend and then it just kind of quietly yeah. went away because people realized they were useless. Um, this chat exactly. GPT, it's, it's interesting. It'll be interesting to see people are jumping on it like crazy. But, uh, you know, and it is amazing for content writing, I think. And I think content departments are really leveraging it. But the extent of the use, it'll be interesting to to Yeah, to absolutely. See. No, I agree for sure. Fascinating. Do you, do you find you get a lot of clients asking about it? Like I, I find people are always like, ah, yeah, you know, the outsourcing was good, but now that there's AI, it's all going to go away. Uh, do you do you sort of get clients? Uh, I have I haven't experienced that yet, but that's that's interesting that, that you guys are starting to see it. I um we haven't at the moment. Um, we, we've had clients talking about using it within their businesses, but we haven't had people saying, oh no, it's. As far as it, it impacting on on our discussions with with potential clients, yeah, yeah, it's it's kind of humorous. Uh, okay, fantastic, <laughs> well done, um, thank you. Great growth and congratulations on getting into an office. And you know, I, I still think that it is so valuable to have an office and to have that core. And um, you know, it's it, it it's just if everything is remote, I, I think that there's not so much uh, foundational core to it. Uh, so well done. Sure. Great, great journey. Is no, it? Are you enjoying you. it? No. Yeah, I am. Um, it's not without its challenges, um, but but every day is interesting. Every day is something new. Um, it's always fun scaling something um, from, I guess, almost its inception. Um, congratulations to you, Derek, on your your business. It's uh, an amazing business and certainly inspirational. I'm actually in the Philippines in a couple of weeks, and I've got a um, a chance to come in and visit your offices face to face and meet with your team. So I'm excited to do that as well. Yeah, great. No, do do. I'm really excited to to see you. And uh, yeah, I I find people that visit the Philippines, it it just um, it adds another dimension. You know, people see sort of people working over computers and think they kind of understand it, but to actually see the Philippines and uh, to see it touch it, it's it's. So I encourage everyone to come over. You know, clients and business owners and everyone. It's uh, it's profound. Yeah. Absolutely. So, yeah, super Absolutely. keen to, uh, to catch up with you and we'll uh, come around the office and show you around. No, me as well. Me as well. Dale, thank you so much. So as always, I encourage people to reach out, to have a conversation, to see how you can uh, change um, businesses with, with this tool, um, specifically if you're in Australia because you just focus on Australian. If anyone wants yep. to learn more or get in touch, how can they do that? Yeah, easiest way would just be the website. It's platinumoutsourcing.com.au. There's a number of uh, contact options on there, web form, email, phone, web chat. Not a chat bot, thankfully. Um, you'll talk to All one right. of us directly. So, yeah, jump on the website. That was Dale Pierce. He's the COO of Platinum Outsourcing. As always, if you want any of the show notes, go to outsourceaccelerator.com slash podcast. And if you want to ask us anything, then just drop us an email to ask at outsourceaccelerator.com. See you next time.